CITR 11.9 FM. This is the Inkstead Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. We're in Vancouver on the UBC campus. It's about six past two. Does that sound about right, Colin? Six past two? Uh, I have five. It's five past two, according to Colin. According to me, it's six. I'd say six. There we go. Colin, you're left out. You're ganging up on me. Yep. Colin's got the time wrong. Uh, welcome back, Colin. You haven't been here in a while. No. You're always a friendly face. No, it's all so new. It's Did you change the wallpaper? We don't have wallpaper here, Colin. Oh. It's just paint. It's just paint. We're nothing fancy. Today is kind of special. We have a big group on the on the line. I have with us, uh, and just say hi so I know I have you when I say your name, Mary Fleener. Hi, I'm here. Yay. Uh, Wayno. Howdy. And Michael Dowers. Yeah, I'm here. There we go. We got the whole group. Now... The plan with this show specifically was that uh, Michael edited the New Wave, or New Wave, the underground mini-comics of the 1980s, a brick of a book. It's thick. Is it 900 pages? Almost. Almost 900. Um, Collection of mini-comics from the early 80s. I guess the burgeoning mini-comic scene. Um... As many people have stated, a sampling, a small sample of what is actually out there. And I just want people to realize that this is 900 pages and it's a small sample. So there's a lot of mini comics to check out. Uh, Why don't we start out with you, Michael? Tell me about the kind of the idea behind putting the book together. Well, I I had had this idea in my head for a while it actually took a couple of years to come up with the exact idea of how to present the art. And then it, it hit me one night, and I woke up in the morning, and I told my partner about it, that I came up with this great idea, and I phoned up uh, Gary Groth at Fanagraphics just a couple of hours later, and he said, yeah, that is a good idea. So that's kind of how it came about. And the, the idea of, I mean... The only idea I came up with is uh, uh, to reprint the mini-comics, the whole mini-comics, as they were originally presented. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how the book came about. Now, your background is you were the publisher of uh, Stalwart... uh, Starhead. I was going to give it a... I was trying to give it a grandiose kind of, you know... Pacific Northwest uh, mini comics and regular comics publisher Starhead Comics, as Colin interrupted me and stated. Thanks, Colin. I'm going to cry later. Okay. Uh, that's right. We had our glory days back in the 90s, and um, uh, Starhead Comics ceased to exist about year 2000 and became Brownfield Press. Brownfield Press. Yep. And what, what is it that you do now with Brownfield Press? Uh, not a whole lot. <laughs> uh, I've made a few mini comics. I did some trading cards back in the uh, uh, around 2000. Um, I do, I've done a few projects, but not too much at all. Um, I keep thinking of the possibility of resurrecting this somehow, but um, I am constantly reminded of the nightmares I went through. <laughs> Uh, with the comic book industry back in the 80s and the 90s. So I, I'm not real excited about it. I have other projects I'm working on, um, and I love doing the freelance books with Fantagraphics. So, I, I mean, 
why bother? What other books for Fantagraphics do you have, or is it just the ones? Well, so I do the Tijuana Bible series. Oh, that's right. Yep, I've got that. We, book. We've done ten volumes now of that. Book. Oh wow! And uh, my project I'm working on currently, I've been working on for the last three years, is I'm making a set of tarot cards, which is a kind of a step away from comics, but uh, it's really very similar. So. Are they going to be like uh, done by some of the artists you've been working with? No, no, oh, okay. I, I'm making them myself, and it's all done in collage and uh, using old engravings, uh, black and white engravings, and doing digital collage and Photoshop and then coloring them in. Oh, okay. And it, it's quite a time-consuming project. <laughs> Photoshop does that to people. That's Just right. eats time. Now, I have a question, uh, not specifically about the book. Uh, but since we have Colin here, you published Colin Upton's uh, authorized Big Black Thing. That's right. Did, I'm still trying to find out who did the unauthorized one. <laughs> oh dear. Boy, that's a, you know if if uh, we knew the answer to that question, I think it would solve a lot of bad feelings that happened back in those days. Um, but I don't think anybody really even knows for sure exactly who did. I mean, people have guesses, but who? Who took the time and trouble and the expense to print <laughs> ten comic books uh, with just black pages? You know? do, do we know it was actually ten copies? Yeah, that's what, that's what only ten copies surfaced. Ooh, I have one. <laughs> here I come. You got one? Yeah, I got one. I feel one. so left out. I wanted one so bad, and I feel so left out. I know Julie Doucet got one. Oh, man. <laughs> Did Chester get one? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I know that Peter Bagg got one and Gary Groth got one. I asked Gary, and he couldn't remember. He, he had no idea, or else he was just uh, playing coy. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that was probably the case, but I'm pretty sure that Gary got one. Well, by the time the big black thing came out, there had been earlier pranks. And Fantagraphics had kind of overreacted to those. So by the time the Big Black Thing came out, they decided to, uh, you know, cut it, um, to lowball it, not to get so excited about that. Yeah. Well, that, that actually happened right during all the, when all those pranks were happening. Yeah. Well, what? It all got, got mixed in together. And actually, it, my theory is that it had to be the person who was the center of those pranks. I mean, it just there's just no other way that that could have happened. Okay, sorry, I don't know what you guys are talking about with the pranks. Uh, well, oh. There was a, a series of really amazing pranks that happened to Fantagraphics back in the early 90s. And it's, it's actually, they wrote about it in one of their comics journals, and it's actually one of the most compelling articles that the comics journal has ever had. If you can find a copy of that, it is really worth the read. It is a very amazing story. Don't you think it was a bit over the top, though, the threat to free speech and to everything that America stands for? Can you just tell me one prank? <laughs> the uh, the Gary Groth penis in a Nobody box. A, uh... <laughs> it was uh, a matchbox with a reproduction, life-size reproduction of Gary Groth's penis. <laughs> oh, no. That, that's the one I remember. Well, it's, you're talking about the little penis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was actually, we know who did that. Oh, do we? Yeah, we know the answer <laughs> to that question. But, uh, and that was a, a little 
separate thing on the side that happened at the same time. That wasn't part of the pranks? No. Oh, my goodness. No, no. But one of the worst ones that happened was somebody took a, a, a high school photograph of Kim Thompson and put it on a flyer, an 8.5 by 11 flyer, that said, Fanographics wants you now. And uh, looking for work workers, you know, well, for, and plastered them all over Seattle. And it's this high school picture of Kim Thompson with long hair, and uh, 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 Kim was haunted by that for months and months and months, and it just drove him crazy of people phoning him up and asking him for a job. <laughs> it was a terrible thing to do to him. It was a really bad thing. I got something really bad. What? I, I received a letter that it was supposedly written by Renee French, and it was a Dear John letter to Gary. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. I didn't hear about that one either. Yeah, and it was, um, it was like very graphic, and really, it was really quite funny, but I called up Gary, and I read it to him over the phone, and you could just see the blue smoke coming out of the receiver. <laughs> <laughs> he was so pissed. And I believe it. I, they're, they're still pretty miffed about the, what happened, and you can't blame him because it really caused a lot of chaos. Oh, dear. And uh, just so people know, Fanographics is the publisher of New Wave, the underground <laughs> mini-comics of the 1980s. That's another prank that we pulled on. <laughs> Sucker! <laughs> Why don't we jump right into the world of mini-comics, and um, maybe, Michael, you can kind of talk about what drew you to doing mini-comics. Well, I know, I know exactly what drew me to mini-comics. Um, and I, it's, I wrote about it in the book. It's, uh, I got a copy of Jay Kennedy's price guide, underground price guide, when it came out. I mean, it just had only been out for about a week or two. Mm -hmm. And in the book, there was an article about how you, too, can make your own comic books. Well, I read that article, and within two or three days, I had drawn... Uh, printed, folded, and stapled my first mini-comic, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> now, Mary, for you, it was your first little jump into doing comics, from what I understand. Well, yeah, I had a similar experience. A friend of mine told me about an article that Matt Groening had written for the LA Weekly, or the LA Reader, I, I can't remember quite which one, but Matt Groening had written about the kids in class who scribble in their notebooks while they should be listening to the teacher, and and he listed weirdo, raw, uh, boil, uh, the uh, uh, angel baby, and some other um, addresses, and it was one of these things like just make your own comic, and I had the same reaction as Michael had. I, I just went, oh my god, and I think within a month I um, started drawing on co you know drawing comics. I, I didn't make a mini comic for a couple months after that, but. Same thing, read an article, something, you know, a, a, flip, a switch flipped off in my brain, and I had to do it. No, Wayno, were you publishing Weirdo during this time? I can't remember. Uh, I was sort of a peripheral um, Weirdo guy. I, was, I, I made it into one issue. Oh, okay. So I think it barely counts. Uh, it was more of a sympathy publication <laughs> when, uh, when Peter Bagg was the editor. I think he was... Um, uh, very kindly, um, you know, trying to encourage me, and, and uh, I'll forever be grateful to him. So that that kind of came a little bit later, but my my introduction was really identical to um, 
Mary's and, and Michael's. And in fact, uh, Mary was one of, one of, if not the first of my comics pen pals. And, uh, and once yeah. I saw um, the minis that J.R. Williams was doing, it was, it was very similar to when I was much younger and first saw Undergrounds, and, and it was just this, this revelation where I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. i got to get involved in this. I can publish myself. I almost feel like looking through the work, the difference between this being between this and the underground works is it feels more punk rock. Was that something that was influencing folks at the time? Well, it, it was influencing me. And when I started, the first mini comic I ever saw was uh, came out of the back of someone's car and out of the trunk of his car after a convention. And I think the first mini comic I ever saw was Penguins in Bondage. Oh. <laughs> which was an infamous mini-comic at the time. But the whole DIY, do-it-yourself zine culture that was spawned by punk rock was, was an important influence to me. In fact, it wasn't really until I read this book that I realized that mini-comics had such a long pedigree. Mm-hmm. Any of you want to jump in with... Uh... Well, all I'm, I'm I can say that is that it's too bad I that uh, uh, the uh, comics are called New Wave because they're really punk, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, I think that even there's a lot of people who feel that way about them, and there's even uh, 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 a couple of artists I run to are very indignant about that and um, uh, <laughs> and really believe that it should be punk comics, not New Wave comics. You know, because uh, <laughs> New Wave was much more, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, Family friendly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and as opposed to the the punk rock stuff, you know. And, and um, personally, I, I I remember when I first heard the term New Wave, and I didn't think too much of it, but I was I was playing folk music at the time, <laughs> so I was real involved in folk music. And of course, I was ant- both anti punk and new wave you know so it, it wouldn't have mattered to me you know at all at the time but i i got to learn to like the term and now i i feel really good about it i know there's it still creates a little bit of a controversy out there uh uh i know i ran into one very prominent artist who w- wouldn't have anything to do with the project at all because of the the name New Wave, you know, and he th- you know he come he came from a punk ethic, mm-hmm. and and he he didn't want to have anything to do with the term New Wave at all. But my thing is that this is a term for comic books, not about music. You know, I mean, you you if, if these are comics, not music, so. That's how I, I learned to deal with the, the word new wave. So. Well, it's, one thing that's really interesting having the three of you on is you all geographically... Oh, four. Yeah, sorry, Colin. <laughs> um, you, geographically, you're all in completely different locations, but you no, all... We're like in three corners of the United States. It's pretty amazing. And Canada. Yeah, and Canada. <laughs> um, Mary, you're down in southern uh, Cali. 30 minutes from Mexico. 30 minutes from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now I know who to go to for... Uh, San Diego. Craig I was on. thinking for something more interesting. Well, for for Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got lots of that where I work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am. Pardon? 
avocados. There we go, avocado. Uh, I love a good avocado. I avocado tree in my yard, don't I, Wayno? Oh, yeah. Jerry's got the best avocados you can get. Now, and Wayno, you're in the East Coast. I forget where you're located in the East Coast. Right, in uh, Pittsburgh, PA. There we go. Here in the Northeast. And Michael, you were you always you were in Seattle, and then now you're not in Seattle anymore, are you? Yeah, I I, I did most of this work while I was living in Seattle, and uh, now I'm living on an island in the middle of the Columbia River. So, are you in Washington or Oregon? I live right between Washington and Oregon. I look out one window and I can see Washington, and I look out the other window and I can see Oregon. But what's the jurisdiction? The jurisdiction? Uh, well, <laughs> we are Washingtonians. Ah. Gosh, you can run for governor. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, secede and make your own state. That's right. There we go. You're right. I don't think that's a bad idea. Yay, tea parties. I well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but well, the thing is, well, it, I, I don't know about tea parties. But I was I was being very facetious, very very very. Well, you know, I'm glad they don't call themselves tea baggers anymore because I don't <laughs> think they really knew totally. what that phrase meant. That was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Colin had something he wanted to say. Yeah. No, actually, uh, you were talking about the geographic distance between people, and I just want to remind the listeners that this was before the internet ever happened. But the, the the new wave, the mini comics, it went all th- went through the mail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that's a, that got commemorated on the cover of the new wave book, where XNL put a, a mailbox with the flag up. You know, but, uh, we didn't have uh, computers back in those days, and um, the computers were just starting to be. Uh, uh, a part of people's homes, but there was the term of desktop publishing, and I believe that that term had a lot to do with uh, not only with um, with new wave mini comics, but also with the punk rock music, the, the whole do-it-yourself ethic. People heard that term even though they didn't have the capability of desktop publishing yet people heard that term and realized hey we can do this ourselves you know and and uh, so i believe that that term alone had a very powerful effect on on um the alternative arts that was happening in those days and uh colin you still make your own mini comics and mary i understand you're still doing your own mini comics how about you wayno uh no, although I'm, I'm still I'm still um, reproducing the uh, the same art uh, to some extent. I'm kind of stealing from my old old mini comics for uh, paintings that I'm doing. Oh, there we go. Interesting. Now I'm curious about some of the folks that you have in the book um, because I mean it's. How many artists are there total of different artists? Well, there's, I think there's about 74 of them in the book. Um, one person I didn't really know that well, I was really fascinated by his work, uh, was uh, Mark Roden. Michael Roden. Michael Roden, sorry. Yeah. I'm yeah, not good he's today. He's a very uh, creative guy. Tell me a bit about him and uh, kind of. I don't really know a whole lot about him. I do know he was kind of an alternative type of person. Uh, you know the the hippie type who lived in the woods, um, but he always had this streak of creativity in him, and he was involved. He was a musician. He did sculptures. He did mini comics, and I believe he did some paintings and, and that type of thing too. 
but the guy was a force of his own you know he he just couldn't stop and um uh even uh, uh you know before he died he was still uh just going strong you know that he he was driven he couldn't control himself you know is part of this to kind of archive this work well yeah i i i guess uh, you know it even though the book is like 900 pages, there are so many people who got left out. And one of them is right there in your studio, Colin. You know, Colin should have been a part of this book. But uh, it was real hard to pick and choose who to include. Um, uh, and and when, I, when I finished the book, I had to do a massive cut. You wouldn't believe how much I had to cut out. And, I can't and, um, imagine. Uh, it was very difficult but um, I believe I think I really got the uh, the best of who was out there, and um, and the ones who went on to bigger and better things and that type of thing. That was another focus. I wanted to show that uh, that these artists could, you know, they did it themselves, but they were able to use what the energy that they put into this to go on to. Uh, to actually, you know, making a living and 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 uh, 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 you know, making a lot more money and that type of thing. Hopefully, so, so that's something I wanted to point out too. Is that you know, it, that's really kind of what the book is about is just following your dreams, you know, and that that's what I was trying to get across. I do feel like you kind of made a choice of artistic aesthetic with the book. Most like definitely. It, it was an artistic aesthetic, yes. It, it, it almost feels like it's following, like, the weirdo panter tradition. Well, Artistically. Uh, I sure wish Gary Panter would have been a part of this book, but he decided he couldn't do that. So. Uh, but um, uh, it's, you know, if you see the, the panter ethic in there, it has a lot to do with the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's a, you know, you have the underground of the 60s and the 70s, but that underground, I mean, as time goes on, uh, what you're looking at is the underground of the 80s. So. Well, it definitely feels like the underground comics, per se, doesn't really hold the same kind of get-up-and-go that you guys have with New Wave. Well, one thing is that uh, the New Wave thing is that in like in little spurts of energy. You know, you have eight pages, and it's just like the, the artists just explode on eight pages, you know. So the book is just filled with all these little explosions, yeah. you know. And so th- there's an energy there, and I was trying to get that across, too. I, I was, that was done on purpose, was to, to get the energy across. How about the, that just kind of reinforces that punk rock idea? It's like a uh, you know minute and a half song. There you go. Yeah, that's very true. I'm curious uh, for uh, Colin Wayne O'Mary, um, kind of how that affected your own artistic process. Kind of working within that frame, did it kind of? I guess just go into it. Like, what did the mini comics mean to you artistically? Well. It meant being able to tell a story in a very small space. I think that's the most important thing that I learned from it. Being, um, I've always valued clarity and conciseness in comics. So the eight-page mini comic was a perfect way to hone that skill. 
Mary? Well, for me, it was nobody telling me what to do. And I think that's the big difference between the work in this book and the first generation of undergrounds, because people were dealing with an editor and a publisher and um, maybe, you know, some peer group pressure. And with the mini comics, it was anything goes. Anything goes. I mean, you're, you're making the book yourself, so, you know, who's going to tell you what to do? Nobody. <laughs> and it was also... Um, great to see that there was another a community out there other people doing the same thing and so um you know every day was going to the every day going to the post office was like christmas oh, oh <laughs> i i remember i remember going through postal strikes and thus the agony of not getting mail for days and weeks on end uh-huh. <laughs> well you know you want to toss in anything uh uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I, I always like to set parameters and limitations, um, you know, whether it's working with just two or three colors or, you know, many images in the same size. And, and this compact format, I think, uh, it kind of freed you in many ways because, you know, you did it and it, it was done and it's out there. Um, you know, we all did a lot of books that were just weird experiments or, um, you know, just collages or a stream of consciousness, and there was not a, um, a huge, uh, you know, you didn't spend six months working on this thing. <laughs> if you get an idea, you do it, it's out there, and you, and you try something else. And that was uh, really an incredible amount of fun and very, um, just very freeing and very good training for, you know, any visual art form, really. I'm going to do a quick song break. I'm going to play uh, Mary's Pick, uh, The Imperial Dogs, <laughs> Midnight Dog, and you can talk about your life as a uh, rock and roll group when we come back, I guess. We'll be right back. Inkstud, CITR, 101.9 FM.
CITR's Scenic Drive, every Friday morning, 10 a.m. till noon, CITR. And we're back. Inkstud, CITR 101.9 FM. I should mention, we started out the show today with the action suits, which actually wasn't one of the songs requested by my guests, but I needed a long song, and everyone requested short songs um, so I could make all my phone calls. And I thought that was appropriate, since Pete Bag is in the book, and Eric Reynolds was also probably part of that mini-comic scene, too, wasn't he? At some point. Yeah, Eric did a couple of mini-comics. I think the, the Surfer one? Yeah, that's one that I published. So it seemed appropriate. Is it appropriate? Yeah. Um, Your show. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. In the next half hour, we're going to talk about how awesome I am. Oh, God. <laughs> no one is interested. Um, and that just was the Imperial Dogs, uh, Midnight Dogs. Tell us a bit about that band, Mary. Well, uh, they were uh, Carson boys. Um, went to... South, I think North High, and uh, Paul uh, Terrio, which is my husband, the guitar player, went to high school with Don Waller, the singer. And uh, they had a couple of bands before they formed the Imperial Dogs. And they didn't last very long, um, uh, probably only four years. Uh, in that brief time, they got to play it. Well, they were banned from Gazaris for life after they played their one gig. <laughs> played Roddy Bing and Heimers a couple of times. Got the attention of Iggy Pop and Kim Fowley. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, drug abuse and egos kind of brought an end to the band. Um, that's, that's ten words or less, but, you know, it's just everybody was real young and, it, you know, just band drama. And uh, that gig uh, at that gig at Long Beach State uh, was uh, Halloween 1974, and there was a woman named Linda Pascal, Pascal who was uh, filming it for one of her classes, 16-millimeter film nothing fancy, black and white, room was horribly lit, and the only reason I was there is I was working in the printmaking studio, and I ran into Don, and, you know, he was easy, it was not easy to uh, miss dressed from head to toe in black leather when everybody was wearing bell bottoms and floppy hats and, you know, fringe, and I ran into him and found out he was playing that night, so I went to see the band, so I was there, and um, uh, hooked up with Paul uh, a couple years later. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. That's well, so it romantic. pretty raw and punky for 1974. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the reason, um, it was a big group of people that really were into the Stooges, MC5, the hardcore rock and roll, Detroit. Um, it was people, and the reason I fell in with these people is because I really didn't care for the the soft folk rock that was happening at that time. I was always into the Rolling Stones and Mitch Ryder Velvet Underground, and so when I met all these people that were really into that hard, hard rock and music, we, you know, we became friends. It was some, you know, it, was, it wasn't that common to meet people that liked that kind of music. And it was funny because a lot of musicians, I mean, a lot of cartoonists are musicians. Mm-hmm. Leno and I, we had a little band during the Comic Con. We'd get together with Jr. and even Michael came down, and stayed with us um, one Comic Con, and we all jammed in our living room. And it was a big crossover, you know, from music to comics. Uh, I was in a band called Puke Theater. Yeah, yeah, you've done some uh, comics about that. Uh, well, I, I, actually, mostly I did the comics about the performance art group I was in called The Haters. Oh, yeah, yeah, the thing where you had that, that art piece and the cops tore it apart. And... Oh, that was one of The Haters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only the most charming of bands for Colin. <laughs> the Haters and Puke Theater. It's yeah. very punk rock. Very punk rock. <laughs> So tell me about some of the folks that you got exposed to 
um, doing mini comics and how that really changed how you viewed comics? Me? Any of you. You can start, Mary. Well, it's how I met, um, you know, Wayno uh, and JR and, and Michael and, and uh, Bob X and XNO. I mean, all these guys. Um, uh, and once again, Peter Bagg, uh, when he edited Weirdo, uh, he would uh, review all these comics, you know, all these little mini comics. So you'd, there'd be a list of like 10 people. And you go, great, you know, I'll send this guy my my comic and a couple of quarters. And then a, <laughs> a month later, you'd get a comic back with a couple more quarters. And then there were other magazines like Scratches, um, I think Dada, Dada Gumbo, they used to review the books. There was a small press explosion. Oh, yeah, those, those are the lads from Seattle. Spent yeah, a lot of time hanging out with, with them. So not only were you making your own books, you were seeking out on, all on your own other artists and, and who are out there. And you know, that's what's amazing about the New Wave book. You know, Michael did, it, it just, it's an astounding amount of work that he did. It's just a fraction, and and I hope you do volume two, three, four, or five. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. the yeah, lighter know side. Fifty. You'll be in a wheelchair by volume five, but no. it's really important, you know, because when Michael first asked me to be in the book, I thought the work I had done back then was just, you know, oh, inferior. I can't let let this be seen by people. And Michael reminded me, he goes, you know, these are your roots, and and you were absolutely right. So, um, I I don't I didn't. I don't know. I just met people that, in my minds, were in my mind were famous or important. It was just that they were doing what I was doing, so it, the, the camaraderie was what was very fulfilling. Bueno. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 again, same experience. And I met people who were amazing artists then, and still are, and still are friends, like Mary and um, Dennis Worden uh, and Jr. Of course, and. Um, uh, Mark Martin and Jim Woodring were—they were doing self-published mm-hmm. uh, minis back then too. I mean, they're, they're just—you know—everybody just got involved in this crazy um, postal community, um, and, and it was—it was a community, and it was a, a huge uh, movement that was truly underground. It was way off the radar. And that's a neat thing, actually, compared with the undergrounds. Is this real? Like the undergrounds had a lot of. Uh support from popular culture they had head shops they had head shops and you know and that's the kind of thing with with this i kind of feel like you guys had to push your own thing and had to really get out there i didn't have that network of support well it it did help help to open a lot of doors like um i was i was actually kind of uh bewildered by the fact that i could go to san diego con with mini comics and get in there as a pro (laughs) Which to me, I felt like I was like cheating or something. <laughs> You're, oh yeah, I get in free just because I do these mini comics. And yeah, it, you, whenever somebody would come to town, um, I give them mini comics. Uh, metal, uh, of course, uh, Seattle was a really happening place to be back in the mm-hmm. '80s and the '90s for the Fantagraphics move there. So yeah, you got to meet a tremendous amount of people just exchanging, handing out mini comics. One thing I want people to know about and check out is there are people that still do kind of similar type things. Uh, I mean, there's huge mini comic scenes of modern mini comics, but uh, just kind of with the same aesthetic is uh, Mineshaft, which Mary is in. Um, and it's a really fantastic kind of small press uh, mini comic shaped uh, magazine. 
zine. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a fantastic collection. Same, same thing we went through. They, you know, uh, it's uh, Everett and Gioa, I believe, and um, they've gone to um, like I think this is uh, Mocha or is it the little Comic Con in New York, and had people walk by their table, not by their book, not even look at it. <laughs> and, and then they go to another one, and then they're all happy because they sold like twenty copies, and, <laughs> um, uh-huh. and it's you know they're struggling. Well. And, um, but it, it's just you know when he asked me to do the cover, I felt like I'd gotten a job at the New Yorker. I was like, so excited. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That energy is still there, and I like it. Yeah, it's there are the few people that really follow are following with. Uh, I guess they kind of meet both cultures too because they have a lot of the underground folks like uh, Crumbs in there constantly, um, Kim Deitch and. Well, you yeah. know that's sort of what you know, having Crumb doing those covers and his letters. It really gives it a lot of you know. It makes it very attractive mm-hmm. because he just doesn't like anybody, you know. <laughs> and he has a million people asking. Sure. Yeah. And here's this. You know. I don't know. It's. Um, I think Sophie Crumb did the new one, the new cover. I haven't seen it yet, though. I haven't. I actually haven't seen the last couple of copies. I don't. Since Diamond doesn't care anymore, it doesn't get up to Vancouver so easily, so I have to hunt it down. Um, You're going to say something, Colin? Ah. He forgot. He forgot. The other thing I, I'm going to recommend people to check out is uh, Rick Bradford, who actually did some uh, support with this book. I guess uh, his poop sheep. Poop sheet, I should say, not poop sheep. Poop sheet. I had to explain to someone what a poop sheet was. I felt bad. Uh, Foundation, which uh, is kind of a store archive of mini comics, and he has a stellar selection of stuff. It's all good stuff worth checking out. Rick Bradford has been essential in helping keeping mini comics alive. He's doing uh, a, a lot of people a very big service and giving people a place to uh, sell their mini-comics, a place to get their mini-comics reviewed. Um, I, I see a few other people uh, kind of doing this the same thing, but the, the work that Rick Bradford has done has just been very amazing, and I can't speak highly enough about what he's done for the world of mini-comics. And, he, and, and it's really fascinating, because he is slow, or solely focused on mini comics. I mean, that is his thing. He's not his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not worried about underground. Not worried about you know post mini comic stuff. It's mini comics. Well, he he likes comics. Yeah. I, there's no doubt about it, and all kinds of comics. But he's very very dedicated to the world of mini comics. Yeah. It, it's it's to me. It's just keeping that focus there on that world because it's so easy to get distracted by. Oh, look at these really big books from New York <laughs> publishers. Um, you uh, know. And it still keeps that primal thing. And it's really interesting is uh, how much comics, nowadays comics, have that roots, their roots in mini-comics. I mean, uh, one mini-comic I picked up a while ago was uh, an old mini-comic by Brett Warnock, who's now one of the publishers at Top Shelf, and just to know that that's where a lot of these folks get their start. Um, Um, No, go ahead, Michael. Oh, no, go ahead. That's all right. (laughs) Actually, I do remember what I was going to say. That uh, I, I I went to a convention recently in Victoria, and I had my mini comics out, and I don't think people knew what they were. It was very sad. People didn't want to come near me, near my table, for some reason. You're going to the wrong comic conventions, Colin. Uh, well, uh, you know, I can remember experiences of. Uh, 
you know, you'd be sitting at your table all by yourself and everybody's ignoring you, and then somebody walks up to the table, picks up a mini-comic, opens it up and go and throws it back on the table and said, they're all in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> and walks away, you know. So that's the kind of stuff that we had to deal with. Back in the 80s, uh, we didn't have people like Rick Bradford. We didn't have the Internet. But we did have a magazine called Fact Sheet 5. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Fact Sheet 5 was essential for pulling the community of the mini-comics people together. And uh, um, uh, that's I think that's how I found the first few people to, to mail my mini-comics out to was um, in Fact Sheet 5. Just one of the interesting things I found about mini-comics is that it seemed like for anyone who took an interest in mini-comics, eventually they'd start doing their own. That's right. A lot of that, yes. I think I also want to kind of point out some folks that, some other folks that got their start in mini-comics. And it's also interesting because they really kept that community spirit, like Julie Doucette, who we mentioned earlier, uh, in all her issues of uh, Dirty Plot, she would have reviews of mini comics in the back of it. Yes, that's right. And uh, same with Pete Bag, um, with Hate all the way through, he would have reviews of comics that people sent him, and he would make the effort to read comics that folks sent him and give them feedback and just say. Peter loved zines. He was all about the zines. He liked the handmade stuff. Although he didn't start that way, he did a couple of small press things. But Julie Doucet, she started with the the mini comics and. Some of her very first mini-comics are extremely valuable now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very rare and extremely valuable, but she she was one of us. She was definitely <laughs> one of us against the world. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Chester Brown also is another person who... Chester Brown should have been in the book. I tried very hard to get a hold of Chester Brown, but I, I couldn't get a hold of him. And... Uh, I felt really bad about that, and I really felt that Chester Brown is one of the people who should have been in the book. I can get a hold of him. Well, it's a little late right now. <laughs> no, there's you got to do more. We Call keep telling you. you. There's uh, more to be done. Colin can help you put together the Canadian edition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Canadian edition. There you go. It'll have a male delivering moose on the cover. You know, I, I instead of doing more uh, about the '80s, I if I was to do more, I'd be more inclined to go on to the '90s. You know, because there's just been so much that's been done. You know, and and it all needs to be covered. And each generation seems to change a little bit. You know. So I'd kind of like to point that out. Mm-hmm. So by change, you mean they're getting further away from the undergrounds and more towards... Yeah, it's not... Well, you know, the whole underground thing, there is no underground anymore. You know, the underground has become the mainstream. And and uh, it's very, very difficult to find anything underground anymore. The only underground artwork I've seen in the last couple of years is that group out of France is doing all the silk. Oh, Ladenia Cree. Yeah, those guys, that, they're doing amazing work. It's uh, absolutely amazing. And and that's the only underground that I've really seen for many, many years, you know. And sure enough, I mean, someday somebody's going to come along and that'll become 
mainstream too. You know? I don't think they'll ever become mainstream. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that there are definitely pieces of what they're doing that could easily become part of the graphics of the mainstream. Well, it's interesting because they just did a book by a local Vancouver boy, Owen Plummer, who his you know all his stuff has a very distinct look and very distinct characters. Yes. And his stuff uh, around the same time was also used for a fashion line in the UK. There you go. Um, That's what I'm talking about. The the underground disappeared in the 90s. Uh, When we had the post-underground explosion in the the early 90s, you know, it was after that 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 the underground completely changed. What do you think about folks like uh, Fort Thunder? I don't know Fort Thunder's work. Oh, okay. Um, I'll send you some info, but it's uh, it's a group that was out of Rhode Island around... Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Uh, and I have seen a little bit of, but you know they're they're real. Uh, aren't they kind of part of that lowbrow scene? Which you know the lowbrow scene started out as kind of undergroundy, but now it's just all trendy, you know. And and um, I don't know. I think it's pretty hard to find anything that would be considered truly underground. So do you feel a distinct aesthetic away from the lowbrow movement with the underground mini comic scene? What is your question again? Do you feel that there is a distinct difference that this isn't lowbrow work? Like the mini comics? Mini comics? Yeah, the the new wave book. Like you don't. New wave book. uh, I think that there are 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 there's people in the book who became a part of the lowbrow movement, but um, uh, lowbrow has run its course, and now that's changing too. And it's, it's very much more lighthearted than it ever used to be. And that seems to be the case with mini-comics, too. Uh, people aren't so concerned about grossing people out, and they want to talk more <laughs> about their own feelings inside of themselves, which is okay. I mean, that's, that's all fine. Uh, I think there's some, some uh, new talent out there and that type of thing. But um, it seemed to me that... The underground of the 80s, these guys were about letting it all out and trying to be as gross as they possibly could, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, uh, I, I mean, there were some people that were doing aesthetic work, like Mary's work in the, in the New Wave book is very aesthetic, mm-hmm. you know, and her work with the Cubist design and all that, that type of thing. Uh, but some of these other guys, like X and Owen, Bob X and Michael Roden, these guys just wanted to... Uh, uh, talk about fart and farts and poop and, and <laughs> monsters. <laughs> well, there's the strip uh, that uh, Pete and J.R. Williams did. What was the? There you go. Shit for brains or eat shit uh, and eat die. Shit eat shit and die. die. There we go. Uh, listeners' discretion be advised. Thank God we're in Canada right now. <laughs> I got to say there is something neat about the anonymity of a lot of the folks, like the names that people have that you don't see in the other comic scenes like the Piz, Piz. X and O. The Piz became a lowbrow artist. Then but after a while that's the only name they have, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's still the Piz. Yeah. Pretty much so. <laughs> we have our own in Vancouver with I Brain Eater, but we Jim Cummins, but yes. still I Brain Eater is a better name. Um we're near the end of our slot here, folks. So I wanna thank all three of you for coming on. And it was great talking to Mary and Wayno. I haven't seen these guys for years. 
we had some great times down at Mary Fleener's house before San Diego, so it was really great to be able to spend some time with you two. It was really great. It was great to talk to Colin, too. I haven't talked to Colin for years. I'm trying to talk Colin into going down to Stumptown. I've tried to get into Stumptown, and I can't get in. I, I've heard a lot of challenges from folks that... Oh, man, it was very frustrating. Yeah, no. it's uh, A lot of people haven't heard back yet, so I think uh, you're not alone on that. So, Well, thank you very much, folks. Thank you. Nice Thank talking you. to you. And you all yeah, take thanks care. Thanks for hosting our class reunion. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and no one got drunk and fell into the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. All right, bye. 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 Uh, just to remind folks, um, that was Michael Dowers, Mary Fleener, and Wayno. Oh, what the hell was that? Um... The book is New Wave, the underground mini-comics of the 1980s. Uh, it's a really fun collection, and I think the, the, to uh, kind of impress some folks is to check out these other, like, check out the work in there, but also check out other folks. Check out Colin. He's been posting his, uh, his diabetes funnies. Colin? Mm-hmm. On uh, Facebook, Facebook fan page, Colin Upton Comics, and on LiveJournal. Are they funny? Well, it depends on your sense of humor. <laughs> They're not all funny. But They're also, funny. Uh, in the back of the New Wave, in the back of the book, there's also a list of websites mm-hmm. of various cartoonists that are featured in the book. So, yeah, the, the web in many ways is the small press of, of our century. And uh, many of the artists who were involved in the 1980s web comics, uh, uh, many comics are now on the web, so you should look for them there. Definitely check out um, Poop Sheep. Poop Sheet Foundation. Uh, really, Mineshaft. Mineshaft is really good. Um, all great examples of kind of what mini comics had to offer. And you keep listening to Ink Studs, and you're going to be hearing folks that do mini comics now. So, uh, and maybe some old folks. We'll see. It's it's always different. Oh, thanks, Sunny. <laughs> uh, up next is Japanese Music Quest. Uh, next week, I will be joined by. Uh, Paul Gravett and another gentleman whose name I'm not going to pronounce right now because it's Finnish and I will massacre it. Um, and we're going to be talking about Moomin. Ooh. Moomin. Moomin. And uh, we're actually going to be playing some uh, stuff by Tove Jansen talking, her reading Moomin in Swedish. She's a Swedish-speaking Finn? Well, I mean, they're not very far from each other, are they? Well, they're, they are. It's the largest linguistic minority in Finland is Swedish-speaking. She speaks both Finnish and Swedish. Oh, okay. So there we go. All right. Thank you, Colin. Thank you.